And welcome back, Grief Nation listeners. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, and my friend here is Mia Levis Porter. Mia Levis Porter is a wife for over 16 years and a mother of two boys. Mia went to her first Moms Demand Action meeting after Parkland as a concerned parent. She stepped into her leadership role for a local group at her first team meeting after learning she was a survivor of gun violence. Her brother, Junior, died by gun suicide in 1992 after battling schizophrenia for over five years. Mia has been sharing her story nationwide on various media platforms at the U.S. Capitol with federal, state, and local lawmakers as an Evertown Survivor Fellow. As the California Survivor Events Lead, she's worked to create events to support survivors and create community. Mia has recently announced her candidacy to fight for the families of AD51 for California Assembly. Let's welcome her. We have you here on It's the Miami Night Show Grief Talk. How are you? Good. I am so excited to finally get to talk with you. I've long been an admirer of all you do for our survivor community. Oh, thank you so much. And you as well. Thank you so much. And we're going to dive right into all that you, all of your greatness. That's what we're going to do here today. So if you could tell us about your journey of losing your brother, Cipriano. Thank you for using his name. Uh, Most people in the gun violence prevention world uh, know that I refer to my brother as Junior. And it's it's so rare that I bring up his name. So it's good to hear it. Thank you. I appreciate that. So Junior was the middle of five kids, and I'm the youngest. Uh, He was the younger of two brothers, um, and he was full of love, like just just a sweetheart, um, very affectionate. He would smother me with kisses and hugs. Um, He called me his Piscean twin because we were both born in March. and he was just a really kind, gentle soul. Um, and he loved his family so much. Um, so when he was, when I was around 15, 16, um, Junior was off at college and I heard from my parents that he was sick and he was gonna be coming home from college. Um, and they told us he was having mental problems. Uh, it turned out that he was schizophrenic He had battled schizophrenia for five years. Uh, We saw him in and out of mental institutions. Um, You know, I would would hear him when he would come home, I would hear him, you know, blasting his music really loud in the middle of the night, screaming. Um, It was painful. It was really painful to to watch him suffer. Um, But then when, I think he was about 26, Um, He told my parents that he wanted to go back and finish school. And so he, uh, along with my older brother, Danny, um, Danny was sent back as kind of his guardian to keep an eye on him, um, which is a lot of responsibility. I mean, that's, my heart is always still with my brother, Danny, too. Um, And so at any how Junior went off to college and within a couple months, he got access to a gun and uh, died by gun suicide. And Danny was the one who found his body. Um, and it just devastated, devastated our family. Each of us, um, 
manifested our grief in different ways. Yeah, yeah, that happens a lot um, with families that have lost their loved ones to suicide. And I'm so sorry that um, for your loss, of course, and that your brother um, had to find him. Um, how has that how has that unfolded for your brother finding him over the years? Danny, first of all, the women in our family are stronger. We either rely on our friends or my mom relied on God and her friends. Um, but I think the machismo in our family, the men thought that they had to be strong for others. So they kept everything buried inside. They locked it inside. And you know, that stuff will just eat you up. Yeah. Um, for my dad, for example, actually uh, died three years after Junior. I think, you know, his health quickly deteriorated after Junior's death. I think he just lost the will to live and he couldn't get over the loss of his, his namesake, his son, you know. Um, for Danny, he shut down. He just couldn't, you know, he, he's still, when we have family, um, you know, gatherings, He's still like sweet and fun and funny, but there's just a part of him that is locked away and he has a very much guarded himself over the years and it just breaks my heart. Yeah, I, I asked that question for two reasons because um, one, um, you had stated that he was pretty much kind of like his guardian to, you know, see, see after him. And um in my law story of losing Taiki, you know, by gun suicide. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, it by, starts. By using, um, by, I'm sorry, um, when when Taiki was initially shot, I, I'm, I'm going back to, I know it's taking me back there, but when he was initially shot, um, his best friend was killed. And I knew that, you know, that loss for him, losing his best friend, being a part of this trauma, um, which was kind of like a survivor type guilt thing. And I wonder if your brother kind of still felt like that because he, you know, he was supposed to see after him and, you know, and and then um, after, you know, that ended up happening to Junior, I just wondered, you know, about his, you know, how was he doing? Because I've, I had that because of Taiki's experience, I guess. And, you know, having him having to experience a loss and then dying by suicide, you know, later on because of the loss. And I just always... I have just this heart for individuals that have to either witness that or, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's difficult, but I'm glad we're talking about it because more families need to come forward and talk about, you know, the things that we kind of um, brushed up under the rug and, you know, just and, and see about our loved ones. And I'm so thankful that, you know, that you and your family are still close and, um, and Thank I know you. it's difficult. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I completely hear you. Um, and thank you. Um, yeah, I think we all had some degree of survivor's guilt. Um, I remember in that when I found out in that moment, I was like, I wish it had been me who had, you know, had, had, had been diagnosed as schizophrenic, who went through that struggle because I somehow thought that I would have been stronger to get through it. You know, and it was guilt that I carried with me for the next 25, over 25 years of thinking that, you know, um, it should have been me. I should be doing, you know, um, 
I should be doing, uh, and, and that that's why I do what I do, like to try to always like be the one to step up. I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll be the one who, who can, I don't care if I don't sleep. I don't care if, you know, it's difficult for me. I'll just, I'll do it myself because yeah. it's my, my baggage to carry the duty of trying to, you know, help others or something like that. Yeah. Um, for Danny, I can't, I can't speak for him. I can only speculate mm -hmm. that, you know, I imagine he has um, guilt of not knowing. I mean, how could he know? How could yeah. he know? But not uh, of, of not knowing that this might happen, of not um, being able to keep his brother safe. Mm -hmm. And it's all self-imposed, you yeah. know? It's like there's no... There's no um, truth to it, but it's the things that, you know, we as the remaining survivors after losing a loved one, it's the, it's the, it's the way that we cope by punishing ourselves. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm, that's why I'm so glad that we're talking about it because um, it's important, especially to families that have experienced such traumatic loss, you know, um, where to even start the conversations, you know, if we're not, cause we don't have the conversations. We just act like stuff doesn't happen. Oh, that didn't happen. You know, but, well, it that's a, but that's a great point because I, 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 you know, that is something that along my survivor journey, I've come to realize, um, you know, the fact that our family, I thought it was initially because we're an Asian family. We're very private. The fact that we didn't talk about it outside the family, we were taught you know, what happens in the family stays in the family. So when people would ask what happened to Junior, we would say he was shot, not that he shot himself. Right, right, yeah. But, you know, what happens is that when you um, suppress that voice, mm -hmm. what happens is that you think of it then as something to be ashamed of, yeah. and it it stays with you and it informs like the future, how you interact with everything, you know, from that point forward and that, that guilt and that shame. Whereas like, you know, people are sick every day. Like for me, I see mental health now equivalent to the, to the importance of physical health. You would not shame somebody for having cancer. Mm -hmm. And yet mm -hmm. we need to take the stigma off of mental health yeah. because then people won't ask for help. That's the whole point is like, if you, if you keep this, this in the dark, mm -hmm. you know, if you keep this, this, um, mental illness in the dark, it perpetuates the stigma yeah. and then people are afraid to ask for help when they need it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because those mistruths end up catching up with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, our family is still growing, say, like, um, if you have younger children, like I have grandchildren. So if I never talk about really what happened, then my grandchildren won't, won't understand how when they, you know, um, may have um, some type of mental health um, bad day or just needing, you know, just not knowing how to handle their their, their feelings um, now. Um in Georgia, I, I hear the number, the age group um, gets younger and younger with suicide. So it's like, you know, we have to start talking about those things. Okay. And I'm going to leave it right there because how has um, this changed your life over the years? So now in retrospect, I can see that it shut me down basically, you know, in one nutshell, it shut me down. I literally 
lost my voice, how we were talking about um, the stigma of not talking about it. It just in, um, like impacted me being fearful to use my voice in other ways. At the time that it happened, I was a voice major in college, um, singing, I, uh, you know, uh, studying opera. And, um, you know, for five years, I had been taught, don't tell anyone what's happening with Junior regarding his uh, uh, schizophrenia. Um, you know, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. And so, like, I started finding, you know, when I would have performances, I would get sick before performances, <clears throat> you know, constantly some kind of issue in my throat. Um, and I believe, you know, the body will manifest what you're mentally dealing with. Um, and, and so, uh, essentially, I started losing my voice. And after my brother died, after my dad died three years later, um, well, actually, first, after my brother died, I, I, I left the school because I had voice problems. I developed nodes in my vocal cords. Um, and I stopped singing, which was my heart, my passion for 20, over 20, 25 years. Mm. Um, uh, and then even when I uh, continued my life as I, I, I switched instead of music, I switched to acting. Even then, before every audition, I would second guess and sabotage myself. Um, again, so every single way I found to try to express myself would get suppressed. Mm -hmm. Self-sabotage would get suppressed. Um, and, and then I just found myself like in my 30s, literally, it was easier to just keep my mouth shut on so much, you know. I didn't, if things were bothering me, I'd keep my, my emotions locked up and not express myself. If, you know, yeah, I mean, I just think overall of how much I shut myself down. And it really wasn't until I found, um, you know, the gun violence prevention movement, um, volunteering with Moms Demand Action. God bless the community. God bless the day that I found went into my first meeting. You know, it really changed my life and the and the community I found myself surrounded by really supported me and made me feel safe to start using my voice. And it has just snowballed since to where, you know, <clears throat> as a survivor, and I spent a long time grappling, realizing that I was a survivor of gun violence because, uh, you know, prior to to walking into my first meeting, I always presumed a survivor was somebody maybe who had gotten shot or or who had uh, survived, a, you know, a mass shooting and walked away. Um, I didn't think, because I wasn't the one injured, I didn't think that my brother's death meant that I was a survivor. Um, but back on track. Once I started finding my voice as a survivor and finding that it could help others, and in addition, it helped me heal, it just snowballed. It just, and I started to find the power of my voice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I love all that. Gave me chills. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I, it was so much in all of that you said, talking about your, you know, school and your voice from, I, don't, I, I didn't know you, you, it was opera. Wow. I think that's probably. I want to do musical theater. <laughs> I was going to be like a like a triple threat, threat a singer, actor, dancer, and I wanted to be one of the first. Well, not maybe not the first, but you know, to win the the four. What do they call them? Egots. Uh huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm going to wow. be the first Asian woman to get wow. <laughs> to win wow. one. 
it's coming it's coming in another way watch watch it's coming it's coming gosh wow i would love to hear your voice um it's coming that's coming too okay so now since we've been talking about suicide are there any resources that you have that you can share with us about um you know someone experiencing um suicide ideation or if someone is in crisis Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for asking. So there is a national suicide hotline that you can call, which is um, 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K, as well as for teens, I believe it's more youth oriented. You can text, I think it's HOME to 741741. But in general, Two things. In general, if you're someone struggling, please say something. Please ask for help. Reach out. Um, And if you are somebody who um, has concerns about someone that you care about uh, or just someone that you see is struggling, please say something. Reach out. Ask if they need help. That's the only way, you know, um, that's the only way that we can, uh, you know, help each other out of this and normalize needing help. We all have our low points. We all do. But for some, it's a very real uh, darkness that sometimes you just need a hand to help you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love what um, American um, Foundation of Suicide Prevention always states, you know, talk saves lives. Let's talk about, you know, talk saves lives. Um, Now, during the pandemic, there was an increase in mental health conditions and elevated suicidal uh, ideation. What are your thoughts about this? So at the time I was working or volunteering as, uh, you know, the survivor of survivor events lead for for California. Um, And it was one of the first things to pop in my mind, uh, knowing that we were, gosh, we're at the one year of quarantine, of COVID shutdown. Um, But the first thing I thought of was the people who were going to be struggling because of either isolation, depression, whether it was because of, you know, being sick or, you know, financial stress, all of that. Um, And I just knew, I knew off the bat that suicide rates were going to escalate. And then, you know, as, as, as quarantine progressed and I heard about, you know, the, the surge in um, gun sales, I think I can't, I don't remember the numbers, but I think it's something insane, like um, 40. I don't know if you know, correct me if you do. I think it was like 40 million gun sales last year after during quarantine. Um, that like, I think it's, I think that's about right. Um, it, it scared, scared the hell out of me. Um, and I just knew, and I think I thought of people in domestic violence situations, like all of that. I, I just knew it was um, like a pressure cooker, a bad recipe for, for bad news. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot to deal with. Like you said, we all have um, we all have our good and bad days, and and, and not really understanding what COVID was, and, and yeah. you know trying to piece all that together of what our lives um, was, you know, transitioning into, um, 
and and of course all of the loss and i i remember i was reading a, a, a study um on pandemic grief and what that looks like and i was thinking to myself wow i had no idea um this is a whole nother another level of grief from what i was being taught or taught and you know and they did all of these surveys and i was just going to interject really quickly can you imagine though like you know, we've had loss. We know how hard it is, but to not even get to to see your loved one in the final moments, to not get to say to goodbye, to not have that closure, how yeah. much more yeah. well that yeah. would be. Absolutely. I'm going to up right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would even think about you know family members that are are not even in the country, yeah. um, and and you're not understand. You know, you can't communicate. Um, well, communication and travel was, you know, it was, it was hard to do at the time until right. everything, I guess, kind of Zoom exploded. And of course, I'm sure individuals was probably um, um, FaceTiming or whatnot. But if, you're in, if your loved one was sick and they were out of the country, how, you know, I just, that, even <laughs> that, not even just being local in the hospital and that you're, you know, you're going, you can't go see your loved one, but you're, you have a loved one way across the water, you know, and how, you know, the communication stopped and no travel. And I, I was, I don't know, my head was just all over the place trying to figure out, you know, who's doing what and, you know, how are they trying to figure this out? Um, but, um, at any time, such like, yeah. 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 One thing that I, I, I discovered after reading about the pandemic grief um, was that, you know, we really should be a part of um, surveys when they put them out there. You know, um, that's the only way we can build the, da the data to be able to say, OK, well, this was happening in marginalized communities. This was happening, you know, in this um, on nationality. This was because if we yeah. don't do the surveys or we don't be a part of the testing of it, then that's why our numbers look worse um, in, in certain communities, because we don't have the data because we don't, you know, we don't either go to the doctor to do it or we don't sign up for surveys to say or share, you know, um, how we're feeling um, if there, you know, if there is an, uh, not just a pandemic, but any in anything. Um, I, I'm just learning about this, but I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but we have to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, we yeah, yeah we have to be a part of the conversation by doing whatever is necessary. If it's, it's filling out a survey, if it's um, being a part of a medical study, because when I look at the numbers of everything, when they sell black women or uh, Filipinos or um, you know Asian, wh whatever it is, um, I'm like, well, why are those numbers like that? Well, we're not participating. So on that note, interesting that you mentioned that. I wanted to bring up that I recently learned. I hope I say this correctly. There has been a surge or a huge portion of AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islanders, who are recorded of having died from COVID. However, there is a discrepancy because uh, the, the number of AAPI who have been reported to have COVID is underreported. Um, and so basically, uh, it, it's what you're saying that, you know, I don't know why, but for some reason, like the AAPI voice regarding COVID is, again, it's almost like it's being ignored. Um, and you think of all of the um, AAPI who are in the medical health industry, medical professionals, or who are frontline workers. Um, you know, that's why it's 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 outrageous that, you know, our voices, again, are not are not um, 
being called to the table, basically. Yeah. For yeah. research and for how to fix this. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this um, research and it's, uh, look how thick it is. Um, and it's this studies pandemic grief scale, a screening tool for dysfunctional grief due to COVID-19 losses. And that's where I, you know, I'm a big, heavy researcher. So, um, and I just start diving into that. But when I was learning about, you know, um, you know, being a part of the conversation or being a part of the, you know, studies so that we can, you know, get a better grasp on, you know, how our um, communities um, scale in this. And like you said, there's a big gap in, you know, understanding, you know, the loss in your own communities. Um, but yeah, okay. That's good stuff. We needed to talk about that, I'm sure. Um, okay, so your advocacy work, which you did already kind of speak about, but I want to dive more into it. Now share with me again, your first um, um, interaction with going to a meeting and, and what was that experience like for you? And then also share like what you've been able to do um, as a part of that community. Yes, thank, yes, thank you for asking. Um, so in 2018, um, when Parkland happened, I remember watching the news and really feeling gutted seeing these high schoolers having to speak out after experiencing like the worst tragedy they could, anyone could imagine in their lives. You know, it broke my heart and it really made me feel guilty as a parent. I had, I have two kids uh, to see these kids, high schoolers asking for help, asking for the adults to do something. I felt like we as adults failed our kids. Yeah. Uh, so I went to my first meeting of Moms Demand Action meeting. Um, and I walked in and uh, it was overwhelming. Oh my gosh, I, I can't remember how many people, like uh, over a hundred were in the room at the time um, because we all cared. So immediately after that meeting, I decided I wanted to volunteer more and I stepped up to a local events lead uh, position. At my first meeting with my team that I, just starting to get to know someone had shared a story about a survivor who had lost a brother to gun suicide and as the rest of the meeting prog progressed it, it it kept bothering me it was like what that's like but th but but that's my story but 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 what you know um and so I, yeah that was my first epiphany my first realization that i was a survivor of gun violence that changed everything for me. I was already invested in the movement because I wanted to protect my kids, but once I realized I was a survivor, I felt a mission, I felt a duty. Um, and it took me some time because I had uh, imposter syndrome, of, you know, but not, I'm not, my situation is not as bad as the mother who had lost her son, or or how can I call myself a survivor? It's not as bad as my own mother, you know, what she had to survive. Um, but when I realized that maybe that's what made me have the ability to start sharing my story, um, to be removed enough to be able to share my brother's story and how it impacted our family and to be the voice of the voiceless, um, and that hopefully it could inspire others that just changed everything. And um, like, I, like I said earlier, it, it empowered me and it helped me heal. 
Um, since then, yeah, it's been amazing, an amazing journey, uh, mostly because I've been blessed to have people believe in me and believe in my voice and encourage it and foster me to use it. Um, um, and since then, I've been able to share my story with uh federal and state legislators, um, our president and vice president have heard my story. I mean, that's pretty powerful. That's yeah. potent and gives me goosebumps even as it comes out of my mouth. Um, I've been able to, you know, do some interviews on television and, and radio interviews. Um, and more importantly, it moved me because I have an event planning background. It moved me be, to be able to work with survivors in this movement and to not only hopefully um, help them find their voices and elevate uh, um, their their voices, but um, but support them. Yeah. So that's been very like rewarding to me to have basically to have a reason for why this all happened. Absolutely. Oh, thank you, thank you so much for sharing that. And I love when you said um, the imposter syndrome. I didn't even think about it like that, but yeah, that is so true. Uh, and like you said, get it, having that epiphany, I had this a similar um, feeling when um, I went to my first, my first uh, event was going to, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a Wear Orange event. Mm -hmm. And um, one of our survivor brothers, um, James Russell, he shared his survivor story about losing his father to gun suicide. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, you know, it's like, we have no idea at the time when we're showing up for these things that we're, we're what we're being called to anyway. Right. Um, right. That, um, because I, like you said, even though I was a mom, lost a son, but I still didn't feel like I fit in mm -hmm. the gun, the normal range of the gun violence, homicide, gun violence. Um, I was showing, I'm, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, 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 go ahead. But I was going to say, isn't that like amazing how we, qualify yeah. our trauma uh -huh. and how we compare it to others when in truth what it is is we are all impacted by yeah. gun violence every single freaking person in this country yeah. somehow is impacted by gun violence it's yeah. a spectrum and yeah. so whether it is you literally are afraid to go to the grocery store because last week uh there was a a shooting in the grocery store or you're afraid to go to a train station or on the opposite extreme, you lose a loved one, a beloved loved one. It all yeah. changes the course of your life and and is trauma. It's yeah. it's legit trauma. That's a great point that you just made about um, you know going to a grocery store or being at a train station. So can you go ahead and t um, and state to us what are the different types of gun violence? Uh, sure. So. Personally, I know that suicide is two-thirds of gun deaths uh, um, every single day. Um, but there are also homicides. Um, there are unsolved deaths, um, domestic violence, um, unintentional shootings. Uh, there are also bearing witness to a shooting is traumatizing. And, they, and I also want to include those who are wounded um, and have to live with their pain. Yeah. Um, I know many survivors, that's the thing. I know many survivors who have been wounded in shootings and still live either physically or mentally with the pain decades later. And yet 
people forget about their voices. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you're you. amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Okay. So I'm going to quote you on something that I loved when I saw the other day on your page. When people shed a light on their darkest experiences, it not only makes them more relatable and more human, it can inspire others to not be ashamed of their feelings they are there they are trying to bury and that is where they can find the courage to ask for help i just love that i thought that you just came through so personably and just um i was just like tell me more about that so let's dive into that i'm very much a person who transparent you will see who i am you know i have never understood and it seems to take so much effort to have to hide you, who you are, to look like the perfect person with the perfect family, you know, this keeping up with the Jones, Joneses BS. I've never agreed with it and it doesn't sit well in my skin. So like the whole idea of what happened to my family, we don't talk about what happened to Junior, you know, um, we, we don't want people to know our, our, our our, our, our darkness, you know, our, our dark secrets. Um, that doesn't help anyone. Um, you know, I think we all have different kinds of traumas that if we took, if we had the courage to just be honest and share them, it would connect us more because no one's life is perfect. No one is going to get out of this life unscathed. Let's be real. You know, whether it's a heartbreak or losing a loved one or some other trauma, the more we have the courage to share and voice our experiences, the more it will not only connect us to each other, but it will also give others the courage to share their pain. And when we can share and release that pain, it's, it's like learning to breathe again. It really is. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's where it comes from. Wow. It's beautiful. I, I mean, I really, I, I was all into it. I was like, the little emotion. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're normal. <laughs> okay, so, last week, uh, you made a huge announcement about <laughs> to the political arena last week. So can you oh share that with my audience? What's that all about? Mia? Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> happening! <laughs> yes, so after several months of, of thought, uh, I have thrown my name into the hat. I am running for uh, assembly, for California assembly for my district uh, for 2022. Um, and... I, I am blessed with people around me, amazing people like you around me. Um, I, I really had, I threw it out as a flippant comment to a friend of mine that I was upset the incumbent had run unopposed, especially because she presented herself as one way and then once in office um, started compromising and, and, and serving the needs of her special interests group rather than her, her district. Um, and so I threw it out as a flippant comment one day to a friend of mine. And, you know, the next day I had two people call me, you need to do this, we'll help you win. And then um, uh, after talking with many, many incredible, amazing friends, advisors, 
um, they each left me with a, a seed of why it was the next logical step in my journey as an advocate. Um, and, and, and that I had the power to do this, even when I doubted myself. Um, and that, uh, and that they would have my back. So that's why I'm running. It's not, it's not a me, it's not a me show. I have like a lot of support behind me and amazing, incredible people who believe I can do this and who will, um, you know, help me on the way. And, and it's daunting and scary and never anything I would have expected to do, but it does make sense yeah. after a lot of thought. And it does feel like this is what I need to be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you that. The, uh, did you ever see yourself here? Hell no. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> no, not even what? Uh, eight months ago? No, no, no. Um, first of all, uh, I always had this, you know, unflattering um, image of politicians. I have along this journey uh, within the last few years met incredible, incredible um, uh, lawmakers of integrity who really you can tell they're doing it for the right reasons. But overall, growing up my, uh, you know, my, my whole life, I, I always equated, I always had a specific definition of what a, a politician looked like. Yeah. And then it came to me to realize, why are we accepting that? Why don't we change it? And to know who I am, to know um, the values I have and what I would bring to the table, um, I was like, if I mentioned, I can't remember if I mentioned that the incumbent ran unopposed this past November. Um, I was like, if I'm not going to do it, really, then who will? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, be I believe you're right where you need to be. So, Ooh, thank you. <laughs> I was like, yes, my friend. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel the love. Like, seriously, for my survivor family. Yeah. You see, for see how many times it was shared when you posted it? Oh, my God. Look at this girl. <laughs> Tried so much to, like, thank everyone. And it took, like, I was sleeping. It a job, two, didn't it? <laughs> oh, I was leaving at, like, 4.30 in the morning, getting two hours of sleep, trying to just acknowledge. Because I appreciate that people are sharing, you know? Like, it's, it's Of course. Huh? Of course. Of appreciate course. It. So, I wanted to um, ask about your website, which is www.mia4assembly. What is that experience going to be like when we go there? So right now, uh, we're technically in a, in a soft launch mm -hmm. um, until to raise funds for our campaign. And then the first recording period will end June 30th. And we'll have an official launch, launch hopefully with a press release, a video, etc. Um, and then we'll flesh out more of the website. Right now, it's in a, it's called a splash page, where it's basically the basic info you need to sign up for the newsletter, volunteer, donate. Um, and can I mom brag for a minute? Please. My, <laughs> I must say that my 13-year-old son did my website, and I'm pretty impressed. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. I mean, he took notes from uh, my, my husband did his own website. So um, he had asked, he was like, can I help you? Can I do the website? And I was like, oh. And then he was like, he, I, I thought my husband and he were going to do it. But Michael was, my husband was like, um, you know, basically just giving him notes. So I have to mom brag that my 13 year old did the website. Then 
Um, right now, what's up? Um, today, we're actually going to to uh, do a social media post that the splash page will be available also in Spanish and Tagalog, thanks to some friends who helped with translations. Um, again, my 13-year-old uh, set it up, which is crazy bonkers for me. <laughs> wow, that is so impressive. I'm so I am proud of him. I'm oh. so impressed. I'm so blown away. Wow, it's beyond that, me. Yes, you got had to mom brag. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> we wouldn't have it no other way. <laughs> it's beyond what I would have expected, truly. Wow. And he is so fast. Oh my gosh, this generation. Oh, it makes me feel old. <laughs> I know. Trust me, I get it. Trust me, I definitely get it. But I'm so glad we did mention that because um, that was a great segue to let people to know what to do um, at the, you know, once they go to the page, volunteer more and sign yeah. up. And okay, great. So we are a people poor, people powered grassroots organization. Uh, as I mentioned the earlier, the incumbent has. Um, uh, special interests money behind her yeah. so really every single dollar whether it's you know a dollar five dollars um will help our campaign um yes yeah, so please donate we're trying to hit i need to show my viability as a candidate to i need to raise a hundred thousand by june 30th to show my viability um which is possible um we're actually already almost about 60 percent of our goal for the month Mm -hmm. um but you know hopefully donations can trickle in i would greatly appreciate it okay perfect perfect 100k june 30th to show your viability donate okay exactly perfect. yeah yeah okay okay great okay so we talked briefly also too about your passion behind the hate crime um against aapi can you talk about that in that in your community Thank you. Yes. Um, so, gosh, I don't even know where to start. Okay, so I was the only child of five kids born in the States. Uh, when my parents came to the States, we were taught, they didn't speak Tagalog at home, um, and we were taught basically to blend in. Um, and that, I found, was common with many, many um, uh, AAPI uh, families to blend in, to try to, you know, don't rock the boat, um, fit in, you know, and, and don't, don't ruffle, 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 ruffle feathers. Um, and that's become like a stereotype of the model minority who we keep our nose to the ground. We just do the work and we don't complain, which is BS. For over 40 years of my life, I lived that way where I just, you know, I blended and I compromised my voice in the process and my identity. Um, when my blood is about to boil, when Trump was elected, I felt the color of my skin for the first time in my 40 years, over 40 years. The next day, I remember after elections, uh, going to get gas. And all of a sudden, it felt like I didn't know who I could trust, whether the white man getting gas across from me was, you know, looking at me in a racist way and, and wanted to hurt me. And I felt that way for months. Once I started getting active and, and being embraced by, you know, the gun violence prevention movement and the activist community, um, that changed. 
And then a year ago when COVID started, thanks against uh, thanks again to Trump, all of those feelings surged back up of being afraid to freaking walk out my door, being afraid to take a walk around the neighborhood, to go to the grocery store. Um, you know, it was almost a blessing in disguise that my kids who go to a Title I mixed school, um, it was almost a blessing in disguise that they had to stay home. This was in my head because I didn't want them to be attacked for being Asian, you know, again, at a Title I mixed school already. Um, and, <clears throat> uh, you know, it escalated and escalated. And what was infuriating to me was that it was always a secondary or third or fourth story of what was happening. If we were lucky to make the news incidences, if we were lucky to have incidences make the news at all. Um, you know, this was happening alongside George Floyd um, and, and uh, Breonna Taylor. So we were all overlooked. Um, and it's only been the last month and a half when, when the attack started happening against our elders, which if you know AAPI culture, respect for your elders is like paramount. Yeah. Um, and that just, I think, angered and mobilized AAPIs to start speaking out. Uh, even more in full force, I should say. Um, and and finally, I think it's getting a little more attention. I'm glad to see, you know, Ben and Jerry's made a statement uh, against AAPI um, uh, hate, hate crimes. Um, President Barack Obama did. I'm so grateful to see that. But yeah, all of this needs to stop. The idea of us being othered in this country, we're we are Americans too. You know, one of my one of my things that makes me irate is asking, where are you from? Chicago. No, really, where are you from? Chicago. I am an American. I was born in the States. You know, the idea disgusts me that because of the shape of our eyes, people will think we are not American. Mm-hmm. And it pisses me off. Yeah. And it needs to stop. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I'm so sorry that um, you've had to experience that, but I'm glad you have your voice to be able to speak against it, um, let people know that it's not tolerated and that you're doing everything in your power um, to see that this doesn't continually to happen within your community. So thank you for sharing your vulnerability about this um, very present issue. If I can just add also, you know, part of what initially I wanted to run for office because I was, I was unhappy with our leadership, our current incumbent. This is becoming something greater than me. It's becoming, um, it's be, it's becoming about needing our voices at the table. Um, you know, we have these insane laws that have happened over, over the history of our country. People know about Japanese internment camps. They know about, um, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Act. They may not know about the Filipino Repatriation Act, where they tried to send, you know, thousands of Filipinos back, basically. Um, and these laws are happening and passing because our voices are not represented. And that's why we do need more AAPI people, especially women, to run. So beyond me, I encourage AAPI women to run.
AAPI people to run and um, especially AAPI women. Absolutely. Um, I'll definitely make sure I help get the word out. Um, my ex-family is uh, um, of the Filipino descent and my children are half Filipino. So I love that. I know, girl. I remember you told me. That's awesome. So, yes. Yeah, so, um, of course. And I'll definitely, I don't know why, when I heard you say that, have more women to step up, I'm definitely going to encourage my daughters to, to you know, um, talk about it and, and to um, tell their families back home in the Philippines about it and, and, and definitely share your story as well. Um so how do you balance all of this? Um, your work life, mom life, um, getting ready to, you know, part of the political arena now, um, advocacy, how are you balancing and balancing that? And what are your self-care practices? Um, well, great question. Um, I suffer from insomnia, so I get a lot of things done <laughs> late at night, <laughs> but, but that's joking, but that's joking. <laughs> no, really one of the, one of the, the, the best, um, lessons I learned uh, in this, in, in the gun violence prevention movement was the importance of self-care. Um, uh, mom's demand in every town trained me well with, you know, you have to fill your cup before helping others. Mm-hmm. Um, so in pre-COVID, I did, you know, little girly things like, you know, I love getting my nails done <laughs> or my hair done. Oh my gosh, my hair has like gained a foot since <laughs> since quarantine. Um, but in the meantime, I mean, over this past year, you know, I, I've been lucky to have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful supportive husband uh, who we, we parent equally. So, you know, if I can't cook, he cooks. If I can't make it to a meeting, a parent meet, meeting, he can't, you know? Um, so I've been very, very blessed uh, to have a wonderful partner. Um, and my kids, I kind of have raised them to be independent. So they don't need, I mean, they're 13 and nine now, but yeah, like they, they do their own thing, you know? They, they, we have family moments, I should clarify. We, it's, we have family moments that we value together, but you know, when I have to work, they're perfectly capable of being independent. Yeah. Um, so that's been a blessing. But otherwise, yeah, I just, whether it's walking, I have an awesome rock star, awesome therapy dog, um, or biking. These are the things that bring me joy that you know, sometimes you just have to walk away and do something for yourself mm-hmm. to keep your mental health uh, you know, intact. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good stuff. I love it all. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> so share one of your um, your favorite quotes with my Grief Nation listeners. Um, when my brother died, one of my sisters taught me this quote. Um, and I had to look it up to make sure I say it properly. Though my soul may set in darkness, it will rise in perfect light. I have loved the stars too fondly to be fearful of the night. I believe the quote is by Sarah Williams. I love how it encaptures, you know, like I said, the darkness that we all go through during our life, but to keep believing that there will be an up, that it gets better, um, and to embrace it because it's what makes you, I think, it, it's what makes you strong. It, it's what makes you, um, it defines your character. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I love that. That was beautiful. Now, how can ever I- heard it before? No, I've never heard it. But it's so, it's just so beautiful. It leaves you like well, speechless. You know, it's just kind of like hmm. yeah. It makes you think about that. Wow. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. I'm so glad you. I could share it with you. Yes, yes. I love it. You know, I, I when I started um. I, when I first started the podcast, I wasn't asking that question, but I'm like, what inspires people? You know, that's pretty much of it, of like, of knowing, getting an opportunity to get to know you even better. And then it's like, but what fuels them? What inspires them? So that's why I asked that question, because I like to know, you know, what are your thoughts, you know, to help you along your journey? Because on days that um, I may not be um, feeling, you know, all my best. I can remember what you've stated to me. And I'm like, hmm, you know what? And that, that'll get me in a better mood. So another quote I just want to share quickly is, which keeps me going, is it takes a village. I always, always think of it in my advocacy, mm-hmm. um, both as a blessing and as a responsibility, yeah. knowing that, you know, I have amazing communities around me of, of people who advocate because of their, because they care. And then it keeps me going, trying to perpetuate it with others that I interact with. Absolutely. And what I tell a lot of times when I'm doing facilitating grief groups, I'm like, you know, yeah, you know, our loss brought us together. But, you know, the greater thing that um, that is amongst us as, as a group is love, because <laughs> how much we cared for the individual who we have lost is is even greater than the loss itself of why we're here because we really want to be able to express how we feel about that individual who's no longer with us but yet there is grief but in return there's this greater greater thing um beyond loss which is love so um i'm (laughs) oh my god i'm so i'm so i'm so with that it's amazing to see the difference when people operate out of love as opposed to when they operate out of hate. Hate destroys and divides. Love grows and builds and it's healing and it's connecting 100% with that. Yes, yes, yes. And so how can others reach you? Share your platforms with us. Absolutely. So on uh, Twitter, Insta, and Facebook, I am Mia Levis Porter. My campaign is um, at Mia for for assembly um, on Twitter, Insta, and Facebook as well. And yeah, would love would love followers and support yes. to cheer me on. Yes, 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 yes. And please don't forget to go to uh, Mia's um, uh, website. Thank you. Website, website to donate. Donate. We want to make sure by the thirtieth um, that she reaches her goal of a hundred um, thousand. Um, so let's make that happen for her. Um, help my friend out here (laughs) and also what is your superpower and why oh um I think my superpower is operating from my heart it's just seriously it's it's truly like I feel like it's led me right um it's helped me connect with people um and it's it's authentic it's, 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 yeah, I think just operating from my heart. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, yeah. That's a good old snip right there. <laughs> Girl, you're going to make me We're cry. Gonna, Some we're going to lead with that. We're going to lead with that on something. Trust me, watch. That's going to be a, <laughs> a, a good clip right there. Oh, yeah. you are the best. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Well, last but not least, of course, please share a beautiful memory of your brother, Junior. <laughs> oh, so I mentioned that, that he and I had, had shared a love of music. He was the one who, up to now, my, one of my favorite bands um, was is Styx because of Junior. Oh, I was so jealous. My parents were really strict, but somehow when he was in high school, he got to go to the Sticks. Kilroy was here concert, you know, the Mr. Roboto. Oh my God. And I just remember going through the, um, you know, concert program, uh, the concert program with all the concert footage. I just remember afterwards going through it with him and like he was showing me everything he saw. Aww. <laughs> Up to now, like, yeah, they will always be my beloved favorite band. <laughs> oh, that is so beautiful. And you just light up when you talk about your brother. You know that, right? <laughs> You're going to make me cry. <laughs> okay, so before I let you go, what's your call to action? Or is there something that we haven't discussed that you would like to bring further awareness to? I think, you know, first of all, thank you so much. This has been so lovely. You are so so lovely oh my god i just adore you um and and i think the call to action is for everyone to just use their voices use their voices to help not hurt um i just think you know it's such a grandiose um it sounds cheesy but it really truly i truly believe that you know if we would just use our voices to help each other, to connect with each other out of kindness um, rather than hurting, our world would be so much better, you know, and, and, and coming from the lowest of the low these past four years, we all we have is to go up. Yeah. I totally agree. Thank you so much, Mia, for um, being here today on It's the Miami Night Show. We truly have adored um, everything that you have to offer. Thank you. Um, our Grief Nation listeners, uh, you're filled with so much inspiring information and um, just your walk um, of, of this grief journey has just been, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. And I'm just, you know, I'm so delighted to have people on like you that can show that, you know, what grief and resiliency actually looks like. Um, and you are a true testament to that. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's been my honor. I adore you. <laughs> thank you. And I adore you right back. Have a good day. It's the right, Miami Night you. Show. We'll be right back. There you have it, Grief Nation listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another transformative segment on It's the Miami Night Show Grief Talk. Today, we give thanks filled with love and gratitude for our special guest, Mia Livis-Porter, for expressing your very unique grief journey and sharing ways of understanding the healing process. This is your girl, Miami Knight, with much love and light until we connect again spiritually. Bye-bye. He's got me walking that grief walk. Going slow mo. He's got me talking that grief talk. Going slow mo. He's got me clocking the way. It's the Miami Night Show. Hey, yeah. Slow mo. He's got me walking that grief walk. Going slow mo. He's got me talking that grief talk. Going slow mo. He's got me clocking the way. What up, tribe? It's Miami Night Show, Master Your Coach. Welcome to the Miami Night Show. He got me walking that grief walk. It's time for grief talk, y'all. Yeah. I talk about things you think about. It's Miami Nights, you're a master grief coach.